Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, Justin and I continue our conversation about end times theology. And this time, we're talking about something that, well, tends to be more optimistic. Transformationalism, Christian nationalism, really a misplaced zeal where we are thinking the culture should be changing and progressing towards Christianity, but is that what Scripture really teaches? Justin and I want to look at this from a Reformed and pastoral perspective. We definitely bring in two kingdoms as a play in the opposite direction. We hope this is encouraging to you. Stay tuned. A simple and easy way for you to help support Theocast each month is by shopping at Amazon through the Amazon Smile program. When you make a purchase through Amazon Smile, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to our ministry. To learn how to sign up, just go to theocast.org give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed, pastoral, and confessional perspective. If you want to know what we're trying to do here, we are trying to clarify the gospel and reclaim the purpose of the kingdom. And that's a big one today, kingdom. So stay tuned for that. Your host, Justin Perdue. <laughs> your, your hosts are Pastor. Man, I'm struggling. Here we go. Your hosts are <laughs> just, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm John Moffat. Yeah. I'm the pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. There we go. It's like I've never done this before. Hey, you got it out, John. Proud of you, man. <laughs> Uh, episode two for today. Hey, John, Double you know what dipper. you're doing right now. Just What's that? You're over there sensationalizing, man, making it look hard. <laughs> it is. That's right. Um, man, we're excited. This is good. A uh, couple of announcements, just new stuff coming. We've got Theocast U, which is part of our SR membership. The app's growing. Uh, what else? Go to the website. There's a lot of stuff. There's two new uh, podcasts, Outside Eden, uh, I do with my wife, and then on um i have one called kingsman so anyways we're trying to produce more and more material um available justin wrote an article recently which is in our theonomy podcast you can read that article uh posted on nine marks website so cool stuff coming our yeah. way there yeah and you and i are getting together soon by the time yeah, this comes are. out we might be getting together close so. to it anyway late yeah. june yeah. Uh, going to come down and see you and your new house and your family. So I'm excited. All right. Enough is enough. Yeah. Justin. We're going to do some work because we always do work when we get, when we get together. Yeah. Kind of the point of the trips. I'd like yeah. to just do a trip where we just hang out. Just That'd be hang. fun. But we yeah. haven't done that yet. We haven't. Maybe one You know time. what? We'll do that in glory. Mm. Mm. Nice segue, John. <laughs> so last week's pod, we talked about the fact that so much of the conversation around the end of time and the return of Jesus is fear-based and fear-driven and how the New Testament actually presents a a different perspective on the return of Jesus in particular, that when Christ returns, that's going to be the realization of our hope, right? So Mm -hmm. Christ coming back is a hopeful thing for the believer. And in fact, the certainty of his return and the certainty of our salvation in him when he returns motivates us to action now. So that was last week's pod, and we refer you to it. Today's conversation is related. We're kind of considering eschatology again, the end of all things, the last things, the end times, that whole arena. That's right. And in a sense, are considering kind of an opposite error. If there is this super fear-driven kind of 
ah, man, like everything's bad. Like any thought of the end times, all that, that governs that conversation is we should be afraid. And that's our motivation. Then today we're talking about an opposite kind of perspective that effectively says that through our faithfulness and through our diligence and our working, we are going to transform this world. And there will be a kind of golden age ushered in where the nations more or less are Christianized and the world is just a much, much better place than perhaps it's ever been. And that will occur through the ministry and the work of the church and the ministry and the work of Christians. And then at the end of all of that, Christ will return. So in one sense, we're talking today about a particular flavor of post-millennial eschatology, meaning Jesus will come back at the end of the millennium. But this is a very hyper-optimistic perspective. So this is not necessarily the post-millennialism that's existed through history. It's a very popular perspective these days, this hyper-optimistic post-mill view. It often comes packaged with Christian reconstructionism, where we're going to reconstruct, rebuild Christendom, where we're going to build a Christian society. And sometimes it comes packaged with theonomy, which we've done a couple of pods on recently. We would refer you to those. Sometimes it comes packaged even with Christian nationalism, uh, though we want to be fair to people that hold these particular views. So I'm not saying that that's always the case or necessarily even the case. But this has a lot of implications. Why do we care about this? And we're going to get into this, especially in the, the second half of the pod. Why do we care so much about this conversation? Well, we're convinced that the mission of the church and the clarity of the gospel are at stake. And yeah, these errors can produce a lot of fallout for individual believers and for churches as institutions as well. So we think it's a worthwhile conversation. So let's begin, John, by talking a little bit more, maybe in depth about this this view of a, a golden age to come and even this hyper-optimism and why for us it doesn't hold biblically because yeah. we don't think it does, just laying our cards out on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we, we've kind of added an element to the Theocast. We've been really emphasizing resting in Christ, which is to clarify the gospel part. Without the clarity of the gospel, it, re- it removes the rest of Christ. And then after that, <clears throat> I think um, believers can slip back into a lack of joy and, and really pietism when we don't understand the purpose of the kingdom, right? We're sure. now we're now focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah, um, I would say some of the the issues with this. You know, someone asked me the other day, "Are you an optimistic all millennialist?" <laughs> and I said, "You got to have to." Do you want to explain what, what all millennialism is, real quick? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's a t- different pod for a different time. It's that it's that we don't understand. So there. We are redemptive historical guys. We understand that prophecy works in in certain ways in Scripture. We uphold right. typology, how, you know, the basically the way that revelation works. We do not understand that there is a literal thousand years, but that the right. the millennium, like the, the age of the Messiah, is inaugurated with his first coming, and he will come back at the end of history, and our redemption will be consummated. And it's yeah, an already and on, not on, yet, all those things. Yeah. It's an unfortunate title because awe means non. And it's the, we right. don't not believe in a millennium. We do we believe do. in a millennium. We think we're living in it right now. That's right. And we think it's, it's, it's right. uh, typ- typographical like a lot of things are. 
Um, it's metaphorical and typological. Metaphorical right. and typological, yeah. Anyway, so true of, like you said, many his, things in the Bible. So, right. Right. We would be historically post-mill from its perspective, but a more modern-day clarification. Right. Excuse me, which is all mill. And this is why this particular individual asked me, are you an optimistic all mill? And I said, no, I'm actually not. I'm a pessimistic all mill. I would just say reason, I'm a realistic all mill person. Yeah. And yeah. what I mean by pes- pe- pessimism is that the world does not give me anything to hope in. Right. No, I hope 100%. in Christ, but the world, that's why there's pessimism in me or realism is yeah. a good way of saying that. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's why. When you read the New Testament uh, authors, the, the epistles being given to the churches, not just once and not in just one area where there might have been persecution, but the other churches don't have to experience that. You see in multiple churches in multiple locations where Paul or Peter or John are giving the concept that the return of Christ is preeminent. It's near. It's right on the edge. That's how they're supposed mm-hmm. to live their life for it is at hand. Like I love that illustration. As close as your hand is to you, this is how close as Christ's return is. That's the expectation. Mm-hmm. You should live every day with the expectation that it returns today. Well, and that makes sense if a world is in a constant decline and slide down and they're like Romans, when it talks about the in Romans, is it Romans eight, that the earth is groaning, mm-hmm. waiting for its yeah. final consummation and restoration. Yeah. So the the reason we would struggle with some of the views of a transformation of culture or a progression of culture is that one requires time. Number two, um, it's been 2000 years. And if you want to say we've made progress, we've made progress in science. We've made progress in human development, meaning, you know, we can live a little bit longer than you did, you know, 200 years ago. But have we made, has the earth itself and humanity made progress? No, I would, I would not, I would not see that. And I would say whatever progress we have seen is not relevant to what the text tells us. So that, that would be my initial setup, Justin. It's just the reason why this is important is that if you're placing your hope and expectation on life becoming easier and there being like you, uh, uh, the world is becoming Christianized by majority, if that's what you're expecting, then you're going to be putting your hope and energy into something that, that I, we're going to argue is not in Scripture. Yeah, exactly. It, the title of this pod is The Misplaced Zeal of Cultural Transformation. We trust people mean well, and there is a lot of zeal and a lot of energy and effort expended to see the culture transformed and to see this world changed. And we would argue that there's a lot of things that we put effort into in terms of the kingdom of Christ on earth, but to transform the world itself is not where those energies and efforts need to go. And we're going to get into that more in a minute. I do think, like just listening to you, I have a number of thoughts in my head. So I, I agree with you. I think that humanity has always been the same. I think that there's nothing new under the sun. And in that sense, yeah, we, we in God's common grace, there have been a number of, like you said, uh, things that have occurred and, and some progress has been made, common grace level and common kingdom level. And I'm not even going to diminish the the common grace effects of things like the Protestant Reformation and all that. I mean, right, that's all right. entirely good and right. Yeah, hospital then, systems, medicine, all that kind sure. of stuff. Sure. I mean, all of that stuff is good. 
And we should be concerned for common grace in the common kingdom. And we may get into redemptive and common kingdom considerations later. From the perspective of the cause of the kingdom of Christ, that you and I would both agree that the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. I mean, the Lord said it would, and it has. I mean, there are people from all corners of the globe who have heard the message of Christ and have received him in faith and are now united to him. And we praise the Lord for that. And God is saving his people. And he's going to continue to do that until Christ returns. And we rejoice in that. But the idea, like you said, that there's going to be this kind of golden age where things are going to continue to get better and better and better and better because of the influence of the church and because of the Christianizing effectively of the nations. Not that everybody becomes Christian per se, but that there's going to be Judeo-Christian principle that's going to sort of rule the land, um, universally speaking, and that that's going to produce all this good. I don't think the New Testament even, I mean, forget the old for a minute, but I don't even think the New Testament lends itself to that understanding that things are just going to continue to get better until the return of Christ finally. And if we're faithful, then that's what we're going to see occur. I, you're going to talk in a minute about First Peter. You already alluded to Romans 8. I think that's an important yeah. text that there is a subjection to futility that occurs with respect to the created order at the curse. When Adam falls, breaks the covenant of works, the Lord ends up cursing the creation on Adam's account. And that curse still exists. And that curse is not going to be reversed until Christ comes back. Hmm. And so, I mean, even as we sing, like in Joy to the World, for example, you know, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, right? That's about the second coming of Christ. When he comes back, that will be true. But until then, the creation will groan and it will continue to be subjected to futility. And it is longing to be freed from its bondage. And that will only occur when the Lord comes back and our bodies are resurrected. That's what Romans that's right. 8 says. So we want to hold on to that. I think that's that's a piece. Even in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is speaking on multiple horizons there. He's answering several questions, some about the immediate near term, some about the end of all things, and some about the interim, you know, between now, that's right. like when he's going to ascend and when he's going to come back. And it's very clear in his language that when he talks about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all these, these hard things, it's very plain that those things will characterize the entire era of the Messiah. For you and me, as Reformed Amil guys, a.k.a. the era of the Messiah is the millennium, the, the last days, right? The right. Hebrews 1. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. And so we're living in that time. And the entire era between Christ's ascension and his second coming, we would understand, will be characterized by strife and suffering and difficulty and hardship. And then the end will come. These are the birth pains, right? That's but right. ultimately, the birth, so to speak, the return of Christ will come at the end. And so we don't think there's any reason, biblically speaking, that we should expect things to just get better and better and better and better and better to where there's not this kind of like strife and suffering in the world, and then Christ will come back. That's right. So, Well, and and— that's not to say that there hasn't been times where Christianity has been a predominant religion in a country and that country has That's sort of what I meant by even it. the Protestant Reformation, the benefits That's of That's right. For example. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I think the United States has seen benefits from there Britain, being a lot of people who yeah, Britain Europe. has. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, we're not ignoring Aust the fact Australia, that New Zealand, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Christianity can be powerfully beneficial to a culture. 
much sure. of the university programs that are here in the United States, the hospital programs have yep. all been uh, birthed out of the Reformation, which we're super thankful yep. for. But there's a difference between- And Roman Catholicism too, let's be honest, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, we can be but thankful that's kind for of, the outcome. Go ahead. I would say that's kind of making the point in one sense because- Right. Uh, right, like the, there are many people- Anyway, that do not hold like a reformed understanding of theology that are motivated right. for education and healthcare and other yeah, things too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. um, I can acknowledge that Christianity can have a massive impact on culture and benefits for God's glory and yeah. be thankful for it and to yeah. be involved in it, you know, and, and yep. celebrate it. But there's yep. a difference between as, as a citizen of the what, common kingdom. Yeah. That's right. This is what God's doing at this time, but this is not what is to be expected for the entire planet. You know, and, right. and it is interesting. We mentioned this back in the I think the theonomy pod, where you do have an entire countries now that once used to be predominated by or dominated sure. by Christianity that you can't even hardly sure. find it there anymore. No, that's so, true. <clears throat> yeah, I, I was just going to say I think that whenever we see the common kingdom benefit of Christianity that does exist when it becomes predominant in a land, whenever we see that as inextricably linked to like the mission of the church, that's when we have mm -hmm. a problem. That's because right. the Lord is building his church. That has never mm -hmm. stopped. And That's the right. gates of hell will not prevail against it. That mm -hmm. has always been true and always will be. And the ebbs and flows of nation states and how those nation states are doing when it comes to common grace and the common kingdom, that can come and go. But the That's building right. of the church will remain. And like the nation of China is a great example. That is a a land that is, you know, communism, materialism in terms of a worldview, oppression of people, all kinds of things. That's true of the nation holistically, and the Lord is building his church That's in right. that land, right? And so mm -hmm. to conflate the kind of common grace, common kingdom peace that might be, I don't know, uh, an, a, an outflow of the resurgence of Christianity in a land, to conflate that with the mission of the church proper is a problem, and we're going to get into that. Yeah. yeah. So I think that it's healthy to think about how the New Testament writers wanted the readers to live life with the future yeah. in mind. I mean, let's yeah. just go to, I've already mentioned go. this last week, but I'll do it again this week. First Peter 4, 7, the end of things is, the end of all things is at hand. So he's coming down to the end of the letter. Therefore be sober, self-controlled and sober-minded, right? So he's like, because the end is here, you don't have time to waste. You don't have time to be intoxicated with, worldly ideology. You don't have time to yeah. sit around and because Satan understands it's coming to an end. So he's on the attack. We're in a, but we're in a war for the gospel. We're trying to put down the kingdom of darkness, bring up the kingdom of light. James says this, I got like two things going over here, James and, uh, or I got two, a laptop and an iPad going on here. But James five, eight says you You're also be patient. Though. I know establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Yeah. Establish your hearts on what? Right, that everything that he said before, which James is talking about, the establishment of the heart is they're bickering and fighting each other about temporal yeah. stuff. He's yeah. like, "What are you doing? The end is here, and you should be establishing your hearts in the hope of Christ in the gospel, finding unity, self-sacrifice, mm -hmm. and yet you guys are worrying about what's happening here. The, it's it's like I." I love my brothers who who teach these things because they do have a genuine desire for the gospel and purity and holiness, mm -hmm. but it it does take your eyes off of like the the vaporness of your life and the permanent like 
right on the edge of Christ's return, where you live every every day on that expectation of this could be it. And again, we already talked about this last week, not out of fear, but out of joy. Like, all right, he may come back today, I can endure this. He may come back today, I can endure this. That is the mm-hmm. language Peter gives. That is the language that James gives. I think that's the language that Paul gives. So to live in a life where you're you're enduring suffering, you're enduring trials, and you're like, okay, but I don't have to do this much longer because he's coming back. That is yeah. the feeling that he gave them. Yep. So let's talk a little bit, John, about what we would frame as method and messaging of the yep. church, right? Yeah. And how we'll, t- we'll take this in two pieces. We'll begin with method. And so here, I think really we're having a conversation about the the way the church operates and what the church focuses on and even institutionally what its mission is. And right. a brief comment on two kingdoms doctrine before we even go here, because I think it's good for us to just lay these cards out. John and I would and both if you affirm. Don't, yeah, if you don't know what that is, we've got a link in the description. Yeah, great. Ben Drunen. And we did a, there you go. Yeah, we did an episode with David Van Drunen a while back. So John and I would both ascribe to what's known as like a reformed two kingdoms doctrine. And that's uh, the two kingdoms being the common kingdom of the world and the redemptive kingdom of Christ. The common kingdom of the world, in brief, is established by the covenant God made with Noah, and all human beings, believers and unbelievers alike, are citizens of the common kingdom. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust and causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good, that kind of stuff, right? But then the redemptive kingdom is is unique to God's people and is established by the promise and the accomplishment of the covenant of grace. And so effectively now, in the new covenant era, the institutional form of the kingdom of Christ on earth is the church. And so we are, as members of the church, citizens of the common kingdom of the world, and we are citizens of the redemptive kingdom of Christ. But when it comes to the mission of the church, we're talking about the mission of the redemptive kingdom. What is that? And so this is the perspective that John and I bring to this conversation. And we have a lot of concerns. If you have this hyper-optimistic understanding that the church is called institutionally to work to usher in a golden age that will be the precursor to Christ's return, that's going to affect how you think about a lot of stuff. And I want to be really clear. John and I both affirm, you heard John say this a minute ago, we should, as human beings, citizens of the common kingdom, and as Christians living in the common kingdom, we should engage in civic duty and civic responsibility of all kinds. We should pursue justice for all of our neighbors in as much as we're able to do so. But those are things that we're doing individually as the Lord gives us opportunity and giftedness, aptitude, et cetera, to do that stuff. But it's a very different conversation when we start talking about the church as an institution, like us together as the the local church, what are we called by God to do in the scriptures? That's what we mean by method. So John, do you want to wade into these waters a little bit about the method of the church? If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a Primer on Rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. Yeah, Justin, I think this is even connected to Calvinism, you know, you and I both are believing the sovereignty of God and salvation. So because people are dead in their trespasses and sin, 
we understand how God saves someone, which is using the Spirit from bringing them from death to life. So we understand the method of salvation. So that yeah. that's going to dictate how we proclaim the messaging of the gospel, right? We're not trying to persuade people to change their mind by means of evidence. We're, we rely on the power of the gospel to change their heart and mind because that's how God has determined that. We extol with, Christ and then trust mm-hmm. that the Lord will use that. Yeah, Right. When it comes down to the function of the church, you know, the way which we have described it in the past is that the church helps people die with dignity and hope, right? So we're here yeah. to uh, care for the saints, make sure they grow in their faith and love, keep their eyes off this world, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these mm-hmm. things, which is what you eat and what you drink and where you live will be added to you in the, the new eschaton. Don't worry about that now. I've got, I go, I love this. I go to prepare a place for you and mm-hmm. yet we're trying to prepare it here. We know you said that, yeah. Jesus. Right. Yeah. So the method is we believe that God's taking care of the next uh, place, our next home. He's got that whole thing. <laughs> he created it in the beginning. He can recreate it again. He even tells us, I'm going away to prepare something for you. I need you to do what? Right. Seek first the kingdom of God. And that kingdom isn't a physical kingdom that's evident here. So the method is we understand it's what's to come. Therefore, our messaging is going to follow that. So we are encouraging the saints. We're building them up. We're helping them be strong, love, and care for each other so that we can be salt and light in the kingdom. And the the, the message of the good news of the kingdom is spreading to the globe. So there's where you can see your method is driving your messaging. You get the method or different method. I've seen it change where, Justin, we are more concerned about politics and culture. And that's what we end up emphasizing than when Peter says, rest fully on the grace to come. So Mm -hmm. our eyes are looking towards something that is not here. Whereas if your method is pushing you to do culture transformation, then your messaging is really focused in on what's happening in the here and now. No, it's very true. And like you said, you end up getting cultural sermons rather than gospel sermons. That's right. You're spot on about that. And and it's not that we can't ever talk about anything that's cultural or culturally situated in the pulpit. That's not what I mean to say. But I think we need to let the text drive that, you know, rather right. than seeking always to say all of these very culturally informed things and um, apply the scripture so much through the lens of we need to change the culture and here's how bad the world is and here's what we need to do to make it better, uh, rather than preaching Christ for sinners in the midst of a world that's fallen and broken and in need of redemption. I think what's yeah, critical I, for us can to I have one more thought yeah, please. to that? Yeah, please. You know, uh, some people ask me, don't you want to create this place to be a safer place for your children? I'm like, well, yeah, I'd like my children to all be saved and not die. That's exactly what I wanted, but that's not the world we live in. Sure. You know, we. this is why Peter, even in, I go back to First Peter, but James, I mean, how many times does James talk about suffering? But he goes, even though you suffer for a little while, and he means, I think, the suffering of, Spiritual persecution and also I, physical persecution. Yeah. And I think so, that little while is lifelong. Yes. Yes. So well. there, there, this is why there is a hope that's beyond the grave. There's a hope beyond the current right. life. And when you take your eyes off of that and you become optimistic in many ways, uh, right. I think you, you, you're, you're, you're changing. Like Justin, you and I, we've done funerals. We've had to walk Uh through people losing their children uh, Mm -hmm. to cancer. You know, we've got people with cancer in our church. It's like there's there's just a lot of suffering and pain. 
And this messaging often can get, for me, I think it becomes discouraging because you're not experiencing that which is being proclaimed versus I am suffering and this suffering is for the sake of the elect. Like Mm -hmm. uh, what does he say in uh, uh, Thessalonians? For a little while until God is done redeeming his and then he comes comes Mm -hmm. back. So anyways, I was a longer thought than I wanted to (laughs) interject there. No, it's okay. I'm in agreement with you, man. And I think that um, certainly we care about our neighbor and mm-hmm. we want to love our neighbors well. I've already said that. So don't hear what we're not saying. Right. And at the same time, there is a, a very kind of earthbound perspective that's wrapped up in all of this. And there is an overemphasis on this world. And there is, I know we've used this word a lot. There, there is a kind of hyper optimism about what we can turn this world into. Mm-hmm. Nobody would ever use this language, but it comes across like we can, kind of turn Babylon into the new Jerusalem, you know, and that's right. And we can work and really make this darn close to like heaven on earth if we do our job right. And that I just, I do not find any biblical warrant for that and any biblical merit for that. Um, In fact, it seems as we've said so many times already that the suffering and the difficulty and the persecution and all those kinds of things is what we can and should expect in this life. And the church is always going to be a counterculture. It's not going to be the majority culture, it doesn't seem. Uh, it mm-hmm. certainly wasn't in the first century. It's certainly not how the apostles write. They don't seem to indicate that you know, we need to be striving for some kind of worldly and political influence. Um, but rather, what we need to be doing is preaching Christ in light of the world to come. And so That's the right. emphasis is always future-looking. It's life after this one, the life beyond the grave, the world to come. And this is where you and I rejoice in the otherworldliness of confessionalism because we understand our job as pastors is to prepare people for that life in that world that's coming. And we want to love one another and build one another up now and care for one another now in light of that. But we don't assume that we're going to work in such a way that this life here becomes the goal. That's right. And I, I fear that with the best of intentions, that's where the zeal can be somewhat misplaced because we get so concerned with transforming this world and this culture that some of the the otherworldliness in, that's inherent to the church's mission and that's a direct implication of the gospel message, some of that stuff gets lost and obscured. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I know I've read this verse before, but it, it, to me, it's so helpful and clarifying. He, this is, again, I, we did most of this last week in First Peter, but I want to retrace and just do this again, First Peter 1.13. Therefore, in response to the inheritance that's waiting for us, uh, therefore, preparing your minds for action. So, Justin, sometimes people say, you guys are radical to kingdoms. By, by the way, throwing the word radical in front of something doesn't yeah, you can basically immediately dismiss make it. anyone. It's right. right. So you guys are right. Meaning that you're just, you're bunker down. R2K. You don't care about culture. Yeah. yeah you don't care about anything. Yeah. And... Um, no, we're actually arguing for the exact opposite. We're praying that God gives us greater boldness, more sure. uh, self-sacrifice, you know, more clarity on the, the advancement of the gospel, because the more people who hear the gospel, the more hope there is in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So this is why he says, guys, therefore, uh, gentlemen, men, men and women, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I, I, guys, I'm not trying to be isolationist. I'm not trying to be a biblicist, but I don't know how else you interpret that in light of a, a lot of passages who say, that say the similar phrase where you are called to action because 
of what God is doing, right? So he's like, I am preparing for you. I've got this set for you. Keep your focus here. And that's what's drawing your actions. So this goes back to the method and messaging. So we're getting ready. We're protecting our hearts. We're protecting our minds because, Justin, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth. We're not transforming this one. This Now you guys are like, man, you guys are really just belaboring this. Well, look, for whatever reason, Christian nationalism and transformationalism and NAR, NAR, all, and all that. Yeah, all of that is like on the rise. And it, I think it's pulling our eyes off of the emphasis that we should be. We're, we're, man, I, it's like all of a sudden we become self-righteous. Like there's this thing about transgender people reading in libraries. That's like the whole hot topic. And you guys don't care about this. You're just going to sit back. And then we get accused of like, oh, well, you're, you're just going to let women be pastors and you don't care about homosexuality. It's, it's like an, oh, oh whoa, <laughs> What happened? Why are we turning the boat upside down? Right. Sorry. Well, yeah, and it's all because of a, a perceived lack of of cultural activism. Yeah. You know, and I would just make this observation. I've never said this out loud before, and mm. I'm thinking this. To me, I mean, theonomy is is its own conversation because that's like a a theological stream of thought. And I understand that there's a lot of that behind Christian nationalism as well. Um, but it strikes me that the reconstructionism stuff and even Christian nationalism as well, they are so uniquely American in our day. Now, they may have been concerns of Britain years ago, you know, centuries ago. Uh, I think Britain was prone to the era of British Israelism, you know, where you kind of see the plan of God uniquely through the lens of your nation. I think the mm -hmm. UK, that was true. I think American Israelism is real as well, where we tend to kind of see so much of scripture and the plan of God and the work of God in the church and the society through the lens of America. And um, I think we just should, should have a moment's pause there, like to, yeah. to not take God's providence and how he has worked in and through nations in history and look at our own current moment and then draw all kinds of conclusions about Christian societies and the reconstruction of such or the building of such or whatever, the idea of a Christian nation. I just think we should be humble and survey the scriptures and think about the experiences of Christians through the centuries. Think about the experiences of the, of the people who are writing scripture by the inspiration of the Spirit, what the church looks like then, what their understandings would have been about the mission of this church and what their hope was. And uh, I think we would do well to, to consider those things. Anyway, I, I, I want to not say too much right now and not be like a shock jock about stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it just, it's, some of this conversation just strikes me as like, how would our brothers and sisters in sub-Saharan Africa or how would our brothers and sisters in China hear this conversation about Christian nationalism or about reconstructing or building a Christian society? How would those brothers and sisters hear this? What, what would this even mean to them? Has this ever even occurred to them that this is something that people talk about? Because I don't think their circumstances would lend themselves to this conversation in much of any meaningful way because they're just thinking, uh, I live in a corrupt land with a corrupt government, and I'm just thankful if we're able to worship the Lord uh, and not fear for our lives in some cases or not That's fear right. to be arrested. 
And, That's right. and here we are, you know, bludgeoning each other to death in the States over, over whether or not we're a Christian nation and, and how we need to rebuild this as a Christian nation. It's just, it strikes me as a little bit tone deaf to the mission of the church, globally speaking. And I'm yeah, not trying to be well, uncharitable, and I hadn't planned no, to say any of that, but it's just no. But just to just add to that, and we can close it down. But then that's where the yeah. p- finger pointing is. Well, it's because of people like you. America is where it's at today, and so yeah, I, if, they, if, if I don't agree with you, then you're like, well, you're the problem. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay. Anyways, so, so brief brief insertion, and and then I'm really done. I think that that criticism is easy to levy. It's easy to hurl at people, and in the context of our own local churches, brother, we're preaching the law and the gospel. And so we're rejoicing in the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not getting it twisted as to where our righteousness lies or where our hope is found. And at the same time, we are encouraging one another to live lives where we pursue good works that honor God and benefit people. And Galatians 6 kind of stuff, 5 and 6, like we want to walk in the Spirit. We don't want to be envious. We don't want to be contentious. We don't want to produce strife and all this stuff. When people sin, we want to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on ourselves as we do. And we want to do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of God. That's how we want to live. And if that makes us the cause of the immorality in America, then I'm not quite sure what to say to that. Justin, don't answer this here. You can answer it in simple reference. But could this movement be a new form of prosperity gospel? Hmm. It's an interesting thought. We'll talk about it in the SR. What is SR, John? Simple Reformanda. It's a ministry where we have many of you who partner with us on a monthly basis to help support what we do so that we can do video and audio for multiple podcasts and we can do Theocast U and provide. Uh, Justin and I had a really long conversation about some potential books that we are working on. All of that is made possible by our monthly donors. If you'd like to listen to this additional podcast that we do, you can join us uh, by going to Theocast.org and looking up Semper Reformanda. Thank you, Justin, for joining me today. Thank you guys for listening. Well, thank you for having Maranatha. me. Maranatha. Maranatha. Yeah, may he come. That's right. Keep your eyes focused on him and set it fully on the grace that is going to be revealed to you. So keep your mind sober. Amen. Keep it girded or guarded. We'll see you next week.